Good evening. We are thankful for your presence this evening, for a good crowd assembled together. Appreciate Brother Carl leading singing so much and the job that he does, good job he does every time. I thought this morning, I didn't say it in our introduction this morning, but appreciate that song before the lesson. There is much to do. There's work on every hand, absolutely so. And even tonight, if we've been able to enjoy, hopefully enjoy a good day together and a good, a good day even at home possibly with the good weather outside. Uh, we certainly live in a part of the world where it's easy many times to be thankful for the beauty that we live in, but may we always be reminded of that fact. I appreciate you being here this evening, your uh, desire to attend and encourage one another. The attendance here is, is always so good as much as is possible for those who are sick this time of year. We certainly want to remember those folks among many other people and those who are always traveling on various trips, but it's always an encouragement when we can be together and appreciate starting uh, this first day of the 2019 year, First Lord's Day, together uh, even today. What I'd like for us to do tonight is talk for a few moments about a, a study um, that was put together by some folks a few years ago, and the idea was that this would be a 52-week, one-word-a-week study, but I'd like for us to take a look at this and maybe go through it in the coming year. Uh, of course, we won't make it very far into it, just covering once a month, but maybe do this just once a month. I'm always a little hesitant to commit every Sunday night maybe to something like this where uh, we have lessons like that, but maybe once a month or so, we would take a look at this idea of one particular word. That's the logo there. Uh, it's actually a set of a couple of books that were put together. I was able to buy a copy of them. One is a study guide uh, for a preacher, so to speak, or someone that might be teaching a class. And then there was one that is a devotional guide. It's got five daily devotions for just five days during the week there that a person could work through. And the idea is uh, from a few different men that got together and put this study together. Uh, and the idea behind it was that they would help preachers possibly, and of course, also congregations, uh, to strengthen their Bible vocabulary. It was kind of started by David Shannon, who was worked at Mount Juliet and now serves Free Hardeman University as the president, uh, as well as Dale and Philip Jenkins. Uh, and uh, Andrew Phillips, who is a minister in the Columbia area, and then Chad Landman, who also works in the Columbia area, who kind of got together and put this idea out there and kind of started you know, putting these words together. And they actually went through, and as you look through the guide and, and the study guide and the, the actual devotional book, I think there's around between 70 and 100 different preachers and ministers who would write a particular week or cover a particular word. And it's intended to help us think about our vocabulary you know, I know you've probably heard the joke before, as most preachers have made it at some point in a lesson, that, that men supposedly speak 7,000 words a day and women 20,000 words a day. I'm not going to you know, go there. But uh, we talk about that, but it's always interesting for us to think about the words that we use. And while we talk about doing that when we sing and while we should think about it in our everyday life, it's sometimes hard. When I mean, you think about even 7,000 words, sounds like a lot. And so when you think about the different things that you say from good morning to good night to I love you and of course everything in between associated with work or things that take place around the house, our words are very important. The point that the, these men were thinking about and putting this kind of study together and I'd like for us to consider is the words that we use coming from the Bible, the biblical words that we use are very 
important. In the study guide that's put together here, the smaller of the books, they actually have the different teachers and ministers go through and talk about, you know, the Greek words or the Hebrew words that were used for some of the various things. And again, if we do this once a month, you know, it may be a while before we come up on it again. But uh, I'd like for us to consider this idea. And what's interesting, if you've got your bulletin there in front of you, you've seen the title for tonight. Uh, the very first the very first word to look at is words. And so we want to consider for just a few moments tonight our words and the things that we use. When you go through the book, and, and we're going to take a look at it again, kind of spaced out a little bit, uh, but they break some of the words in the Bible down into different categories, such as the big picture words like creation, sin, grace. There's some last things words like judgment, resurrection, heaven, hell. Uh, there's some thing about church, uh, God's church, church, fellowship, worship, uh, salvation words, justification, propitiation, redemption, and atonement. All these different words are things you've no doubt heard and that I've probably said multiple times in just a few months being here, but do we understand what they mean? And taking a look at them, of course, maybe once a month in the future, we'll take a while if we get to, to get through all of them, God willing. But I think it would be good for us to consider our Bible vocabulary. There's some words that we sometimes talk about with other people. You know, we talk about baptism and what baptism means, and some folks have different ideas about baptism. But some of these, I think, will be very interesting for us as we work through them. But tonight, the first thing we're going to talk about is just simply words. And we want to begin by thinking for a few moments about the power of our words. Now, again, there's many ways we could go about this. You know, when you think about sometimes the passive-aggressive words that we use, maybe with our spouse or with a coworker, and, and the way that we say things sometimes, it just takes a little bit sometimes to make a day, to brighten somebody's day, or, of course, to even ruin somebody's day, to hurt feelings and make them upset. Even as we talked about this morning, and, and this, is, uh, this is actually the example that's used in the book, but of course it goes along with what we said this morning, uh, but even the words, you're going to have a baby, you know, you think about something like that, it's very powerful, especially for someone who's hearing them for the first time. I don't know if you were like us, uh, we got pregnant very soon after being married and there was no uh, surprise for me. Uh, Hannah walked in and put a pregnancy test on my desk at work and said, we're having a baby. That was about it. She was as shocked as anybody, you know, we were just kind of surprised. There was no grand announcement or anything, it was just here it is. I, and uh, we of course talked with Jessica and Tanner this morning, I still don't think that Tanner didn't pass out when he heard they were having triplets, but she says he didn't and she said this morning he's very excited about it and we're very thankful for them and, and many of the others that we talked about who are going to be first-time parents, uh, but it is sometimes shocking to hear the words, you're going to have a baby. If you've got your Bible, we think about some of the accounts from the first chapter, not only of Luke, but even of Matthew there. Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 21, the Bible says, and she will bring forth the son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. If you think about the words that are said there, the things uh, that are told, and we think about the young virgin there of Mary as she hears the words from the angel Gabriel about having a baby. You know, as I think about that account there, especially Matthew's account in Matthew chapter 1, but we think about what's the most shocking thing that takes place there, you know? Is it the idea, of course, of being with child? Uh, as a virgin, is it the idea of an angel of the Lord speaking to you? I mean, there's so many things that happen, but to hear those words must have been something for Mary to behold. And even Luke chapter 1 and verse number 28, And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. 
blessed are you among women. Uh, These powerful words were powerful for her because they uh, told her she was going to be the mother of the Messiah. She was genuinely uh, blessed, as the Bible says there in Luke chapter 1, among women. And when we think about it, we could all pinpoint different times in our life where maybe there's some important words that were said, the power of words. Maybe you think about a diagnosis that you received before. Maybe you think about getting that phone call that, that someone in your family had passed away. Uh, or again, some type of good news. We, we can all pinpoint a moment in our lives where we thought about the power of words and how words sometimes mean so much to us. Solomon knew this, of course. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, when he wrote, There is one whose rash words are like the sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing the tongue of the wise brings healing and again in proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 21 death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit and of course when we think about this idea of looking at words and this idea of this project the reason these books were written uh, there is power in words and it is something for us to consider and to put our trust in looking at these words. But, you know, it's not just power in words. We could talk about earthly examples all night. We could, again, go around the room if we had time and think about uh, the different points in our life. But we want to think, secondly, tonight, about the power of His ancient words. The power of His ancient words. Because while words that are used by our wife or by our husband or by a loved one can be important, There is no power like the power of his ancient word. Some of you may be familiar with the song. It's kind of a newer song or a younger song, but it goes, begins something like this. Holy words, long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. And then to jump to the chorus, ancient words ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts. Oh, let the ancient words impart. When we think about the ancient words that were written, that's the way many people treat them. They treat them as something that's ancient. And of course, we know, and it doesn't take very long to turn on the television and catch somebody on the news confusing the Old Testament or the New Testament or, or claiming that this is what the Bible says or, or pointing towards the, you know, the old law and thinking about that. But when we think about the ancient words, that, that term, that phrase, of course, we're not meant to, to degradate, to, to tear down the Bible or to, to, to take it apart. We think about the ancient words of God. The words of this entire song are actually very good. It's worth note, but for tonight we'll just think about these. But, but as we think about the ancient words that have the power to change. As we think about the ancient words we even talked about in our class very briefly this morning that were written for our admonition and for our learning so that we might have hope. The things of old that we sometimes and people sometimes want to point to and point at as worthless or as don't, they don't mean anything, we don't live by them, they're still there for our hope. We've been talking with our children even tonight and studying for Bible Bowl for last leaders about Exodus. You know, we're trying to drive the point home to them that, that Exodus is not some fairy tale. It's not, not some story that we can just, you know, read and go, oh, that's, that's awful nice. That's, that's, kind of, that's kind of neat. You know, you think about the plagues, you think about crossing over dry ground. Yeah, that's, that's great. No, these are powerful things that show the power of God. God may not work the same way in our lives today in the miraculous sense, but it's something to read and to think about the ancient words of God. The promises that He made then are just as good as any promise that He's made in the New Testament. 
The things that he said then, he's going to hold true just as it did any time in the future that he said them. To those, to his son, Jesus, or to the apostles there. All those words are powerful and important for us to think about. Of course, the Bible is by far the most thoroughly documented ancient document. When we think about the things that are actually there, the evidence that we can turn to, it's actually kind of inspiring for a person to think about. And we don't always have time in lessons and things to dig into the ancient manuscripts. Daniel Wallace, who is considered kind of an authority on New Testament uh, Greek manuscripts, he runs a kind of a center, if you will, or a website that talks about uh, the New Testament Greek manuscripts. On his website, it lists almost 5,800, almost 5,900 total manuscripts. And again, that's titled uh, the Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts. And we think about the accuracy that's there. We think about the things that are found and being able to look back at that. It doesn't mean a lot to us because we may not be able to read Greek. It doesn't mean a lot to us because all we see is this brown piece of paper and that doesn't look very exciting. But when we really consider the way the Bible has been put together, we really think about his ancient words. It's so comforting to us. And of course, we think about the words that are found in Hebrews chapter 4. Excuse me. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. His ancient words that can do so many great and powerful things, including piercing deep into our soul. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse number 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. When we think about, maybe you recall being a child, even at our house, uh, just a few days ago as we had family in, my in-laws got presents for my nephew, and some of those things had kind of the spy thing to them, you know, about, uh, you know, being able to record somebody or things like that, you know, kind of like you're a spy. One of the things was like, you know, the the glasses, or, you know, maybe the things that you could, you know, the glasses that you could use, you could pretend to, you know, see through something or, or see, you know, be able to read something maybe that, that wasn't there to the naked eye or something like that. We think about those types of images or that type of idea maybe with super, superheroes being able to see someone into their heart and read their thoughts. And, and while that may seem like something we can, you know, never do, we can't actually uh, make that happen in our life, but we think about the Bible and is what the Hebrew writer says here. The word of God that is living and powerful, that can pierce, that can see into, that can tear us open when we're honest with ourselves and actually read these ancient words. They can pierce into the very depths of the human spirit. And it's in such a way, of course, that God reveals that his knowledge of each of us far surpasses even what we actually know about ourselves. You see, we mentioned that this morning in our class when we talked about sin. And of course, the idea that we think there are many times things that we can do that nobody sees, that nobody would know about, but yet we have to remember that God and God's knowledge of us surpasses anything that we can begin to know about ourselves. It's the power of His ancient words that should cause us to undertake a study like this, to think about what He means and what He says and what He's getting at when He goes through and uses a particular word by inspiration for us to see and for us to know. The Bible is something that we don't have to be ashamed of, that we don't have to worry about. If you're like me, I can think about growing up and and as a teenager and even getting into college, even at a Christian university, you know, thinking about all these scholars and all these scientists 
who all these atheists who claim they could, you know, rip the Bible apart and, and, and blow out all the holes that are in it. And you kind of think, man, that's a really smart person. I don't know that I can do anything with that. I don't think I could ever talk to them about that. We don't have to be afraid when we think about the power of his ancient words and the way that we can use them in our life. And that's sort of part of the goal of this. And we're going to get to that as we go through it in the coming months, God willing. Finally, this evening, just to kind of touch on it for just a few moments here, we think about the word of life. If you've got your Bible, you can open them to John chapter 1. When we think about this idea of the word, many times those who are Bible students or have been in a Bible class think about John chapter 1. And you can be opening up to the beginning of John's account of the gospel there. In John chapter 1, beginning with verse number 1, and we'll actually read through verse number 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Of course, the ultimate of all words is is Jesus, who is the Word, the Logos here in John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3, even down into verse number 14, as we see the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And even used again later in the book of Revelation, Jesus, who is the Word. Now, if you're like me, again, being, you know, been around the Bible all my life, attended church services all my life, but I've always heard John 1, 1 through 5 there, and it gets a little confusing for me, and it doesn't exactly make sense. There was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And all of those things that are listed there. <clears throat> Pardon me. But if we're not careful, it, we get confused about it, and what do we do? We sometimes set it aside. See, I think that's part of the point of this study as well. Words like propitiation. Things that we sometimes hear and we go, oh, that sounds very nice, but I don't even begin to understand what that means. We want to take a look, again, all throughout the coming months about Bible words and what the Bible is trying to say to us. In the Greek there, in in John chapter 1, when we use this word logos, uh, like logo there, L-O-G-O-S, the Greeks thought the word, may have thought the, the logos there was an abstract. It was kind of an impersonal way, as a guarantor of order and purpose in the universe. And in Hebrew, the thought of logos was a little more personal, and it was it meant a little more, and, and they could they read it a little differently, interpreted it a little differently. Many linguists and Bible uh, interpreters have noted the inadequacy, excuse me, of translating the word logos. The way that John uses it here has a, a richness of it, if you will. When we think about the English language, there's no single English word that can render its fullness. The concept and the idea behind Logos there. When we think about the idea of Christ being the Word and the Word of life, it's important that we think about Jesus in this sense. A good summary of Jesus as the pre-existent Logos, if you will, as the Word, it was seen through the early Christian fathers in a few ways. Number one, He reveals the Father to mankind. Number two, the divine reason, he is the divine reason of the revelation of God's will. And number three, he is the divine will by which the worlds were made. And again, we see all of that here in that he was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. All things were made through him. 
And this is the way that these men would look at this word. When we think about Jesus, he's the reason and the revelation of God to mankind. When we think about, uh, if you've got your Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 2 for a moment. When we think about him being the reason, him being the revelation of God, him being the word. Colossians chapter 1, first of all. Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through 27, as we think about Christ and his sacrifice, him being the revelation of God to mankind. Paul says, I now rejoice, Colossians 1, 24, in my sufferings for you, and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the inflictions of Christ, for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus is the sum total of the reason for our being here, even to begin with. Without him, we are nothing. He is the word. It is important for us then to think about the fact that he would be the foundation as the word of life for this type of study. Without the word, without Jesus, without him coming to this earth, without his sacrifice, any other word that could be used would pale in significance to thinking about him serving as this logos, this word. So as we kind of conclude our lesson for tonight, and again, we think about Coming back to this, we'll come back to it at various times throughout the rest of this year, God willing. But is there benefit? Why would we even take time to think about these words that we're going to take a look at? Well, first of all, I would submit to you that uh, we must not underestimate how powerful understanding is in our relationship with God. A person could come in here and not know anything. And they could leave and not know anything. We have to understand what God's will is for us. It's very easy for us to kind of take it for what it's worth at face value to take what the preacher says and and not dig any deeper, to not think about the words that are used. But it can be powerful when we understand our relationship with God. When we understand what the will of the Father is. If you're still there in Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Paul says that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul prayed for those at Colossae that they would be knit together in love, that they would understand the riches, the full assurance, the understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ. That's what we should be striving for. And again, we can read it and it can fly right over our head, or we can read it and we can take time to try to understand it. We must not underestimate the power of understanding. That's how we have a relationship with God. That's how we take time to fully understand what He has told us to do. We take advantage of that opportunity to understand and to read. That's one of the benefits that we want to gain But then number two, of course, hopefully studying these words will enrich our hearts spiritually. We think about the words there in Luke chapter 6 as Jesus helps us to know what it means to find genuine treasure when he encourages us in Luke 6.45 to search our hearts. He says a good man out of the good treasure of his heart 
brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. If our hearts can be touched by this study, by the words that we look at, then hopefully Jesus will be magnified. Because the church will be spurred on. You see, I'm thankful that you come, and I'm thankful that we can study together, and and that I can stand up here and hopefully share something with you. But if we're not growing together in it, if you're not being spurred on to a greater hope of studying, which would in turn hope uh, uh, drive us on to further be better at Christian living, then our time here could be spent doing lots of other things. We could play games. We could have a good time. We could entertain ourselves. But hopefully we try to encourage one another. Hopefully we are spurred on to better things. It's kind of funny. I have to share it with you here as we conclude. But uh, even this morning, at least one person and somebody else chimed in, talked about the preacher stepping on toes this morning of all things. I said, how dare you? Uh, Somebody said, I know somebody who's playing golf this morning. I said, well, I don't know. I didn't get new golf clubs for Christmas. I just used that as an example. Somebody else said, well, every time I come, he steps on my toes. That's not what I think about when I put together a lesson. That's not my goal. My goal is that each one of you and in myself can find our way to heaven. If it sometimes it takes stepping on our toes and and stepping on my own toes is trying to really think about what we're doing, that's what we need to do. That's the point of the Bible, to encourage us to spur us on a greater living. Not because the preacher said it, not because the elders expected of you, but it's because what God has told us to do. And hopefully coming to an understanding of just 51 or so words can help us begin with that. It's great that we can come here together, but if we sit here and fill a space for an hour or two every week, then we're not not gaining anything. I hope that as we begin this study and think about these things very seriously, that we will consider what some of the words in the Bible really mean, what God is encouraging us to do when he uses those words. Again, a wide range of them that we'll look at, God willing, in the coming months. As we conclude our lesson tonight, as we usually do, we will be singing a song of encouragement in just a moment to ask you to consider your life, to use the words of a song as we sing them together, as we sing in worship to God, but as we sing to encourage one another to consider where our life stands. Maybe you've used some of your words wrong in the last week. Maybe you've hurt somebody's feelings. Maybe you've been harsh with someone. Maybe it's something else. One of the ways that we use our words, of course, most powerfully is that we confess Jesus as Lord, as the Son of God, because he made that promise that if we will use our words to confess him before men, on that great, glorious day, he will confess us before the Father in heaven. We think about him being willing to do that, but of course, the action that it takes on our part. We can be a child of God when the Lord adds us to his church after we've had our sins washed away in baptism. If you have any questions tonight about what it means to become a Christian, we'd gladly study with you even this evening so that you can understand that great and important decision. Maybe you're here and you've wandered away, you've had sin in your life, we'll be singing as well to encourage you. It's not just about our words, but to think about a greater understanding of the word, Jesus, of the word of God Bible that we have for us that we can live by. Tonight, maybe you need to become a Christian. Maybe you need to come back to him. We'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.